Join the BU movement. Go to BUMVMT.com to get your membership today. Are you ready to be you? Let's go. What is up, BU Movement community at the BU Movement Podcast? Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Brooke Emery. I am our host and our founder of BU Movement, and together we're on a mission of growth and self-improvement. In this podcast, we feature top wellness professionals guiding us on a path of personal fulfillment. In each episode, we dive deep into different aspects of wellness, and today our focus is on the vital trio of mental, emotional, and social well-being, our first podcast focusing also on social, which I'm super excited about, and I'm truly honored to share the stage with the one and only Marty, an incredible force in her own right. Marty is not only a powerful female business woman, but also a member of the LGBTQ plus community. She has fearlessly carved her own path, staying true to herself in the face of adversity and created a name for herself in a male dominated industry. Marty embodies diversity and personifies what it truly means to be you. And Marty has dedicated her life to helping others unleash their potential and become the best version of themselves. So Marty, welcome. Thanks so much, Brooke and the BU Movement. I'm so glad to be here today. And I am honored to have you here. And I just want to say we were chatting before this and what Marty said, just I want to launch us off with this, is she's she's here to help others, and that's exactly what I'm here to do, and we connect so deeply and so passionately on that level, so I'm honored to have you here with us, and I'm honored to share your story because it is one definitely to be told. <laughs> awesome. I hope it inspires others, so stay tuned. We'll see, but yes, I think <laughs> it does, yes. It already has. It's inspired me, so... Marty, speaking of your story, can you share your personal journey of embracing your true self and staying authentic in the face of challenges and societal expectations? Uh, That is a big question, Brooke, but I'm going to do my best. (laughs) You Uh, are incredible. (laughs) Yes. So related to, um, as Brooke was teeing us up, the social well-being Um, in, you know, I'll just start with at a pretty young age, I knew that I was different. Um, I, my best recollection is around six or seven years old and I didn't quite have words for it. I knew, but I knew I was different. Um, a lot of the, I don't know, older females around me were very attractive to me in, in, in a, in a very exciting way, but I didn't know how to describe it. So um, how I learned the word for it, though, was in in my church and religious upbringing. So um, my family was um, pretty religious growing up. So I heard gay or lesbian for the first time in the church. And where and then where that went was it was associated with going to hell at that time. And I'm a very young person knowing that I'm different, um, not knowing exactly what the word meant. Um, but later finding it in an encyclopedia and going, oh, that's that's what I am. And for some odd reason, the image in the encyclopedia was a very metropolitan area. 
um, with people holding hands and I was from a small town. So my hopes were that my small town upbringing would be um, maybe, uh, maybe an anomaly and that there were places for people like me, but I knew it wasn't necessarily in my church and I knew it wasn't in my town. So I kept that pretty under wraps for a long time. Um, I think, you know, as I was reflecting on this, um, Brooke, there were two things really in high school, I think, that happened to me that were pretty mind expanding. Um, one was on a weekend, uh, a friend, this was when you could share tickets um, across people airline ticket. So a friend on a whim asked me to go to New York City. And I'm in a small town in Iowa, and I'm gay, but I got to New York City. And I saw gay there. So that was very interesting. And then the other thing kind of related to, to the social well-being, I think um, learning and education has been really key to all of my life. And in high school, I um, was a part of a cohort that went through a college prep class um, on the, the limits to growth and population growth and resources not being properly aligned at some point in the future. And so I did a deep dive on, I guess, population growth at, in high school, and it was so mind expanding. So, and it made me curious about the world outside of my small town. So, you know, I think having experiences outside of my small town, even though it was my 100%, right? It was my worldview for most of my life. I didn't um, have family trips outside of town so much. I really was um, pretty <laughs> geofenced, if you will, in a small town in Iowa. So those kind of expanded my thinking. And then obviously getting to college um, also expanded the, my thinking, but I didn't come out until I was 23. I didn't feel comfortable or safe enough to come out. Um, so I kept that secret uh, all until I was 23. And I'll push pause there because that's kind of a big story, if you will. Yeah, I, I definitely want to dive into that. Wow, I didn't know you, you know, you didn't share that until you were 23. I'm sure that was super challenging. Where how did you feel when you found out you said it's six years old and and growing up in that religious environment? I'm sure that was super challenging. Right. And it kind of, you know, all of my life I've not shared all of myself, you know, because of that. N nobody, you know. What was known to me, I have certainly limited what was known to others. Um, and I've gotten, you know, probably good about marketing myself as a result of that, you know, because what you put out into the world does matter and people are perceiving you. And so, you know, at some point growing up, um, I was, you know, people couldn't quite put me in a box. Are you gay? Are you not gay? Are you just, um, I've had somebody say, are you just a really cool um, female? I'm like, what, you know, I don't know what to do with that. And yeah, so um, uh, it, it took what to say. I had to realize I was different and keep my safety by telling, you know, not telling others. Um, but there, I knew that there were safe spaces in the world. So probably that, and I and I have since sought those out and known where those were. But it's pretty if you're not connected to the community and you're not out, you don't know where those spaces are. So when I did come out, I found those spaces and I found my people and I found mentors who cared about my well-being and my, um, you, you know, knowing the challenges that gay people in or out have with finding people that feel safe to share their story or just to interact in life. Um, and and I'll, I'll just share quickly, I know we had 
um, conversation about corporate. And so I did start my career in corporate. And for the seven, first seven years of my life, I didn't come out there either. Wow. So I kept, um, you know, again, I kept a part of me not known to my work work family, if you will, but they also didn't ask. So maybe there was a closed offness and they didn't ask, but my life was private at that point. And I'll have to, I would say that not only the work I was doing, which was analytical and insurance um, was boring. It was, I felt very isolated and, and disconnected um, as a result of not being my true self. So, you know, I really didn't come into my true self until almost 30 years old. Wow. Yeah. And what gave you the courage and strength to fully come out to not only obviously when you were 23 and share that too, but also in the corporate world? Right. Um, When I landed my first job in corporate, there was somebody who was known to me and was out. And I scheduled lunch with her to tell her, um, you know, that I thought I might be, I was having feelings. Um, I wasn't necessarily attracted to the opposite sex, um, you know, and she, she just smiled at me and kind of said, you know, it's okay. How do you feel? And it was like the biggest weight being lifted. That was the first time that I shared that with anybody. Wow. Um, So it was um, very liberating. We'll just say it felt liberating, but I also, that person happened to be partnered with the um, president of the, at that time, Gay and Lesbian Resource Center here in Des Moines, Iowa. So I really had the best um, onboarding, if you will, experience to gay. You know, they just took me under their wing and um, introduced me. So that's how that happened. Um, I kept myself under wraps. I think I probably noticed how how other gay people were pointed out to me at work and how they were. And I, you know, you can observe a lot and follow suit. So I didn't come out, you know, I came out personally, but didn't come out professionally for another seven years because I just didn't feel safe in that environment for whatever reason. And I'll just, you know, that was... 25 years ago, almost 30 years ago. So, you know, at that time, it definitely wasn't in insurance and in the Midwest, it wasn't safe coming out. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure I can't even imagine, you know, having those obstacles and experiences right in front of you and just holding you back from sharing, because I mean, I'm sure you were like, well, I don't want to share just because of the way that's, that's looked upon. And especially growing up, like you said, in such a religious environment, I, I, I'm sure that, you know, held you back from sharing. So what are some specific obstacles and experiences that you went through when sharing and how did you work through those? Yeah, I think two things got me really out. And one was um, I I had to personally come out to family, which was at 23. So getting really comfortable, if you will, in my personal life. And at that time, personal and professional were thought of as being too separate. I don't think of it today as being too separate, but I had to personally come out. And then professionally, I really had to get out of insurance. Um, it, it the over overall conservative nature of the field itself was probably holding me back. And I realized that. And I also at that time, I had um, just gotten an MBA in finance. So 
insurance was a fine place for a person with an MBA in finance or any in the financial services. But what I did um, was very bold. And I think it's kind of like, you know, almost pushing yourself out there, forced pushing yourself out there. My hair was as long as it is now <laughs> um, back in the day. And I decided to shave my head. And I decided to shave my head and go out and look for new work, knowing that a woman with a shaved head was not going to be received in insurance or financial services. So it was the thing that put me in a different career path, if you will. It was the boldest thing I did. It almost made me vomit when I was doing it because I knew how bold it was. And at the same time, like it was so liberating um, in so many ways, personally, to, to have hair um, kind of go away, but also people perceive hair, you know, and then that experiment also. But what that did in, you know, the universe, I think, let's just say, I think the universe responds to us being bold and asking and requesting things differently, right? So one more time. <laughs> the yes, the universe will respond when you ask it does. So I didn't know how it was going to necessarily respond, but I was a big road biker. Um, and I had moved to Matt. I had moved from Des Moines to Madison and with my shaved head, I applied blindly to an ad that was working for the, um, event producers of the AIDS rights, which was uh, the best time of my life. So you can't go and work for the AIDS rights and not be out. Everybody's out. It's so accepted. You're talking about your experiences constantly, as well as friends who have passed of, of AIDS, which I did have um, in, in my coming, coming of age and coming out as well. So it was a great community to, if you will, launch me into being myself. You know, I got really comfortable um, in my day-to-day -day week work week of being who I authentically was. And I think it's kind of like once you start to step out, it's hard to go back. So once I was out, fully out, every other position after that, I was fully out. But, you know, what I really had to do is probably be more entrepreneurial. So I did a lot of startups and had my own company. And that allowed me to, if you will, kind of write my own rules for engagement about, um, you know, coming out or not coming out or who I worked with or who I didn't work with, right? You kind of let your um, your difference can also be a filter for, you know, not working with jerks, if you will. Um, so I got to probably have more of a say, you know, as a result in my career direction, who I worked with, and I still do to this day. So, um, you know, but what's interesting is I'm back in corporate. Um, <laughs> I've been back in corporate now for a few years um, in the cities of um, Chicago and Des Moines. So that's been really interesting. But for the most part, I'm really grateful and stand on many shoulders who have come out and paved the way for me to come out. But it is completely embraced. In fact, I think I am a bit of an anomaly being in tech and data and a woman with this career portfolio and is out. I check a lot of boxes for firms right now, if you will, in the DEI work. So um, I feel like I'm getting to still write my own story in my career as a result of being my authentic self and being out because there are companies and people and teams that want it, you know, that want the diversity. Yeah, absolutely. Which is obviously a huge, huge 
asset and component to obviously being your true self and, and, you know, being influenced and, you know, inspired to do that. So I think that's, we've come a very, very long way to society. And I think that there's still a long way to go. So I think that that is beautiful, but also I want to, you know, bring back that the reason that all happened is because of the word community. You mentioned that a few times Mm -hmm. and that's something that is the reason why I started BU movement is for me, when I hit ground zero, I didn't have community around me or support that I needed when in mental and physical health challenges that I've went through. And I've seen the impact of how community has helped me. And it sounds like from you, that's been a huge part of your coming out as well. Absolutely. I think it's just, it's so important to surround yourself with people who look like you, act like you, talk like you, but support you, mm-hmm. um, you know, regardless or embrace you and your differences. So yes, I can't, I can't say enough. And, you know, growing up in a small town and, or even being, you know, at, back in the day, there weren't employee resource groups for LGBTQ plus. So, you know, there wasn't um, a visible community. So I'm, I'm so grateful that the, the community is visible, more visible for people to find today. But back then it was very invisible um, and people still, you know, thrived and found their way to each other. Um, but yes, a community, a community makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, that's amazing. And I want to bring back when you did come out, did you have obstacles from your family or from your work that you had went through, but I'm sure, like you said, the community was there to support you through that, but I'm sure that was a challenging time. Yes. Um, It was really hard. And I think that's where you learn, you learn to maybe stand your own a little bit more when you are challenged. So when I came out to my mom, because of the religious upbringing that I had, she did not embrace it. Because what we learned growing up and what she learned for, you know, 40 or 50 years from her church and pastor and her community was that I was going to hell. So my mom um, cried when I told her and we didn't speak for about six to eight months. She had a really, really hard time with it. So I'm grateful she had some community to help her get on the other side of it. And today she does a pretty good job with it. Um, Overall, she has been. But, you know, I think she constantly prays for me to not be gay, you know. So, you know, I think she half embraces me and, you know, half wishes I would change. So that was, um, I guess I would say hard and has probably um, been... I don't know. It's learning where your family is, right? And and that's that's where my mom was on the issue and probably still is where I have to say I'm okay. I know I'm okay. I know I'm perfect the way I am and the way one person um who is my mom perceives me is um that's her perception of me or perception of what gay is based on very limited information she has. So I, you know, what I do is realize that my mom is doing her best, even though, you know, it could be better. Um, 
And I've had a lot of discussions with my mom over the years. The rest of my family and tribe has been very easy and supportive. Um, I would say in my first go around corporate, so those first seven years in corporate, I did not come out. And if I did come out, it was to very targeted people. Um, and it still felt very exposing when I did. I just felt completely exposed. Um, for whatever reason, it was just, you just felt raw coming out and exposed, like people are thinking or saying different things about you because of you, you know, being different than them anyway. Um, but now it's just, I mean, I, I don't even really think about it today. It's not, it's not my lead. It's, um, and in my workplace right now, either it's very accepted. I happen to work in a place where there's, um, I've got about 2000 people in an ERG group supporting the LGBTQ, um, you know, in a company that supports um, at a state level. So I feel fortunate to where I am today in my, in my career. Yeah, well, I have, I have the chills. I mean, I just want to bring light to the fact of the amount of work that you've done for yourself to be able to work through that. I mean, you know, a mom is your mom at the end of the day, although you have, you know, all the support of, around you, it's your mom. So I just want to bring light to the facts of, you know, you working through that and finding your own and staying true to your own. That is super challenging. It's something that you should be very, very proud of. And it's very inspiring. And, you know, just also shows that everyone listening, you're, you're not alone. And, you know, you could be like you, Marty, and, you know, still stay true to who you are and at the end come out better and more truly living into your true self. And, you know, as soon as you share it, I just want to ask, how did that make you feel? You know, today, you're, to your point, Brooke, I am proud of where I have come. And I think, um, I think all of those, those opportunities that one takes to come out and say, I am this, or I see myself or want to describe myself with this word, um, it builds resilience because I'm saying I'm this many times, this and I'm different. And I'm saying that many times. And as I say that, I just get more comfortable with being different. Mm -hmm. You know, I just, and, and you, you either, you know, it can obviously be, um, negatively perceived but like i said the time the times have changed and i think to in today's world in most situations it is embraced and people mostly want are curious about your differences now i know there's pockets everywhere where difference isn't accepted but but for the most part it is and i think and in the innovation world that i work in i would say that it is sought out after. I mean, because I'm resilient, I've done different things. I, I beat to my own drum always that people know that they're not going to get group think with me. I am going to walk into a room and I'm going to tell you exactly how I feel or what I think. And it's not going to be the same as pretty much everybody else in the room. And that's valued in, in corporate America. They need, they really need innovative thinkers. So I, I think that it's, you know, it's in some ways it's our time. If we can embrace our, embrace ourselves, stand in, you know, in our truth, um, 
people want difference. People want to know and people want new ideas. So, you know, I, for, for me, I can say right now, it's completely served me and my career, but Amazing. it hasn't been easy as I've um, paved the road. Um, yeah. So in your opinion, mm -hmm. why is it so important to embrace and express our true selves, both personally and in professional settings for those of us who haven't come out or for those of us who haven't truly allowed everyone to see our true self? I think it's important because the problems that the world needs to solve today take diversity in thinking. We cannot we cannot solve the problem with just um, similar thinking. So I think problem solving, I think community building needs diversity. We need diversity in our ecosystems for our ecosystems to breathe and thrive. Um, and we really need to evolve as a human race to embrace difference. I mean, amen, a woman really right? Um, can we get there? So I think the work is really important in how we as a as humans and society evolve to be embracing um, and creating equity in in this world. So I think it's a really important work to do. I think um, if if we all did, you know, our were our authentic selves, wouldn't the world look different? And I'm a part of meditation groups who do visualize the world looking different and what that feels like. So I, um, I, it keeps me optimistic and probably hopeful to think that we would get to a place of embracing difference. And I'm not just talking about queer differences. I'm talking about differences all around in personality and thinking and um, how we how we are represented visually in our abilities, etc. So, uh, you know, I'm I, like, I'm, a, I'm a fan of difference. I, you know, I try to, I try to surround myself with difference because it helps me be um, more empathetic to it, to see things differently. And I think, um, that takes work. We have to like intentionally, you know, surround ourselves with difference. Um, and that sometimes means going outside of our comfort zone to find it. Um, but you know, when we do, it really adds and elevates our game. Absolutely. And on that social component, like you said, of making a difference and building community and all of that, I also want to mention on the mental and emotional component that I believe everyone was put on this planet, on this universe, for a reason to be who they truly are. And if you're not embracing that, then you're limiting everyone else around you by not sharing your gifts and your, I like to call them gifts of imperfection as well. So I, you know, I held myself back and didn't share my full self and share my story of, you know, physical abuse and eating disorders for a very, very long time. And as soon as I was able to embrace that and share that side of me that I was hiding, I felt like you said, liberated. And I felt that I was able to help others that much more. So I completely, completely can, you know, align with sharing and exposing your true self. Yes. And, you know, as I was thinking about it, all of the 
the cover up of not being your true self really takes a lot of headspace up. I mean, it's a lot of headspace and planning, right? And once you let that go, it just frees up more energy because there's a lot, uh, you know, I remember just, you know, dancing around, not having to answer questions or, you know, part of an MO going into meetings was ask a lot of questions versus having questions asked of me. Well, that's planning, you know, that's like intentional planning beyond just to have a cover up. So yes, I agree with you, Brooke. Um, the more you can embrace your true self and be your true self, discover those gifts and superpowers, the more the better we all are as a result of it. Absolutely. I want to bring up one one fun fact about you is that Marty has one name. <laughs> Marty. <laughs> Yeah. When did that all happen? I think that's amazing. And again, that's embracing your true self and who you are. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, you know, I think at, at one, at, I was questioning and curious about a lot of things in life. Um, you know, religion, I started to question it too. So I questioned the value of having a last name. And, um, you know, it's very uh, patriarchal that we take the male last name generally and it and it the last yeah. name is a family name that's that's built on patriarchy. So I, um, I posted it with my mom and my mom loved the idea. I said, Mom, I'm thinking about changing my name. And she said, Awesome. I love that. I love that you're going to do it, you know, whatever. And I kind of came back after thinking and decided I didn't want to have a last name. And that was in 1999. So I have been without a last name off and on since 1999, more, more without one than I have with. And it's been interesting. And what I would say is it's just an example of how I have chosen to question uh, norms, if you will. And what was uh, what I saw was yellow lines. You always had to have a last name or a middle name or whatever. Um, and you don't. So the, there was a judge that allowed me to change my name to just Marty. <laughs> That's incredible. And speaking of, you know, being having that patriarchal, you know, societal expectations, I, I want to, in that male dominant, you know, form, I, I want to kind of dive into the corporate world and what challenges you have faced working in a corporate male dominated industry, not only with just one name, but also yes. just general. Right. Right. Yeah. So for the last um, really seven years, I've been deep in tech. Um, and that just means mostly I'm working, in, you know, with generally male dominated teams. And I want to just caveat that there's um, I embrace my male brothers, you know, we, we do have to embrace them. So it's just stated facts that in tech, there are more white males generally than females or people of color. And, um, and how that has played out has been kind of interesting. And I think that the system you continue to, I've noticed, go walk into rooms and, you know, you could have easily... Uh, a leader, leaders or leaders show up that are gender or 50-50 female, male. Um, and generally in rooms, we are so trained that all of us, all of us, you, I have been known to do this too, will just assume that the white male is leading the room. And you look to that person. 
and you're Wild. discounting, right? I so as a startup um, entrepreneur, that happened to me constantly. Uh, we we kind of started to observe how um, general, maybe even we'll say conservative cultures in the workplace would do that, would just assume that. Um, but you know, what I would say is again, probably because of the difference and um, you know, with gender does come maybe some more empathy or um, care. I've used, I've used it to my advantage to really help build relationships with people. And I don't want to have transactional relationships with the people that I'm doing tech with, for example. I try to make it more um, person-based. And the more I can think of myself at self as an ambassador, both as a woman in tech and as an out woman in tech, for white males to learn, like, I'm really not that much different. I'm pretty fun. I'm pretty smart and savvy, you know, and we're going to build an awesome product together. Once I get them on board with my style, I generally people want to have fun at work and want to be engaged and they want to be their authentic selves too. So I try to draw that out of people. Um, and that's kind of, I guess, maybe even why I'm invited to teams that, you know, they need some balance, if you will, um, because I can help them uh, have more fun at work. <laughs> Bottom line. <laughs> Yeah. So when you walk into a room, let's say you're going into a meeting and you're the yep. one leading it and yep. you have your white male business partners around you and everyone is focusing on them, like who's leading the meeting and you're like, no, it's me. How do you, how do you find the courage and power and, you know, deal with that situation? You know, I, yeah, that's great, Brooke. I have cared less and less what people think anymore. Like, I really don't care what anybody thinks so much. So as long as I know, I think I know I'm doing solid. If I know I'm doing solid work in my um, team and I'm just making my team improve the product or improve the situation with new design. Uh, so generally my work leads. Um, and if people don't embrace me because I'm a woman, I don't, you know, at this point, I don't take it personally anymore. Um, I, uh, it's, it's wild to me how, how many times I've said something, but somebody else has repeated it. I think it happens to all of us yeah. that, that next person who repeated it happened to be a male, but boy, was it listened to, you know, it was like, yeah. right. That happens constantly. And I just, you know, the first few times it happens, your jaw drops and you go, I just said that. Did it? Did did I not say those same words? And what about that person saying those same words within ten minutes? Did it click? But we all have to hear things differently, multiple times for it to click. And so I, you know, I just don't take it personally. I think as long as I'm not attached, right? So as long as that good idea or the improvement happens, if it's my idea and it's somebody else layering on, that's okay. So those situations have happened to me many times. And like I said, I just don't take it personally anymore. I'm just like, I, people, these are, this is how we've been trained, if you will. So you, your other, <laughs> your advice would be obviously to not take it personally. Do you have any other advice how to deal with those situations? Well, it depends. Well, I would say it would depend on the situation. 
if the conversations were such that they were set up um, or the culture was set up that they were embracing difference and they were embracing vulnerability and people having honest conversations, I might in a certain situation, if I had trust and psychological safety with my team point out, hey, hey guys, did you just hear that? That I said it and then they said it and let's talk about why you didn't hear it the same way from me and the way you heard it from them. I mean, I think that would be, it'd be a great opportunity. If we could, if we could kind of step out and just um, facilitate a conversation without a lot of emotion around it of being, you know, hurt, um, not heard, uh, we could probably get a little bit further in learning, like, you know, just out of curiosity, Hey, why did you, why did you hear that? Or why did you think that? Or were you assuming something that would be an ideal state that we could dig in in real time when things pop and we, we had safety to do that. If you don't, um, I guess I would say push pause, you know, push pause on dealing with it, write a note, have a one-on-one -on -one with somebody afterwards and say, Hey, um, you know, during that meeting, I brought up an idea and Brad brought up an idea, but you all really latched on to Brad's idea. What's that about? Yeah. Is it, is it, you know, how he comes across? Am I not saying it the same way with as much gravitas did, you know, like blah, 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 you know, and just take an opportunity to learn. And I, I don't, and I, I guess I'm also a little bit beyond that. I haven't taken the opportunities to learn recently. Um, I facilitate a lot of DEI conversations in my current work. So I pull from experiences all the time. I don't necessarily, um, I guess I'm, I, I don't have too many situations happening right now that I need to um, do a timeout or take time to, to do the learning, which is grateful, right? Like knock on wood. <laughs> Yeah, but I think that's also a great point for those who are leaders of organizations and or entrepreneurs or who actually have a team below us to take those steps to encourage those conversations and vulnerability and to be more inclusive. What can what piece of advice can you give to those who are leaders and do have a team below us to be more inclusive and supportive? Well, I think first and foremost, say that that's what you want to do. Like set your intention and say yeah. that, right? That's, that's, uh, and then, and then do things that support that. So actually cultivate that, actually care. I like to, you know, do personal and professional check-ins with any people that I'm working with. That's one way to do it, um, it to, to get to know them. Um, I think taking opportunities, you know, to, you know, there's employee engagement results and you, there's a lot of opportunities you can pull from within your work environment to use experiences that, that are shared amongst your group to shine the light on something. Um, I think you can use outside case studies, if you will, and bring them in. I, th if you want to remain a, a, a more uh, autonomous in what, you know, and how, um, in, in who, who or what you're talking about, but you might, um, if it seems too personable or too close to the team, you can say, hey team, um, I used to, uh, when I was doing the DEI work, try to pull from my experiences and say, you know, I just had this experience today, kind of set the stage for the experience and then say, what would you all do? You know, and, and that can create awesome conversations. Um, I, 
I intentionally try to reach out to, I think another piece of advice is intentionally reach out to people who are different. You know, they're different. Awesome. Ask them how you can support them. Um, ask them if they have enough resources, what they need um, is probably even, and they're going to be able to articulate that much more. And if, then if you can honor those needs, you develop trust and you create a team where they know that they can be open with each other and that the difference isn't going to be either, you know, made fun of or poo-pooed that, you know, it really is celebrated. You can celebrate a lot, I think, through food and music. I've always used food and music and sharing of culture through food and food and music to learn more about each other, you know, and embrace difference. So I think there's a lot of, and, and those are just tip of the iceberg. There's a lot of innovative ways that you can, if you really think about it. And when you are embracing difference, then you're bringing people's best selves to work. And their best thinking to work, and they're really going to be, you know, much more engaged with each other and with the work. So, yeah, that's awesome. We at BU Movement not only have individual memberships, but we have a corporate wellness program, and part of that is group coaching. And a lot of what we focus on in that group coaching is the inclusivity and and being your best self and coming true. Because if you aren't being your best self and putting that best foot forward, then obviously the whole business is not going to succeed in that way as well, especially in corporate where it is so driven on people. Right. So I, you know, I fully, fully see that happening. And, you know, a lot of what we do too is movements, like you said, and embracing music and the spiritual aspect of it. So I've seen, I've seen that come to light so many times and really found the benefit of community and so many different aspects. So I think that's beautiful. And Marty, this has been an awesome conversation. I want to leave with two questions, if you don't mind. I have two more questions and I think we'll reel it all in. <laughs> so the first question is, can you share any advice or strategies for individuals who may be struggling with their identity or facing adversity? Yes, I would say reach out, ask for help, find people like you, find a mentor. Um, ask uh, most people in this world really do want to help. I, I have found. So when you ask for it, um, it generally is received and that asking for help is really, can be really hard. Um, surround yourself with people who support you if you can, um, and embrace you, find your tribe, you know, find those people who are, um, you know, not necessarily like you, they don't need to be like you, but they respect you for who you are. Um, and there are plenty of those tribes out there. Uh, I think, um, you know, building your own, building your confidence and, you know, learning, learning that what your moral compass is, what is it that really drives you um, to be your best version of yourself, having the discipline and actually doing the work. I, I guess I would say, you know, being your best self and being your authentic self is not easy. It does take work. Um, we are very complex people and very contradictory and, you know, thoughts and our opinions. Um, so, so, you know, doing the work, if it takes therapy, a therapist, um, that can help you with processing and, and becoming yourself. If it's, you know, moving to a city or a neighborhood 
or to a workplace that embraces you. But, you know, you know, life is too short to not surround yourself with those who love and adore and support you. Um, and they're out there. So, you know, getting out, out of your home and connecting, I think connecting online is a great way to find your tribe, but don't um, also um, discount the power of a real physical um, connection and in a, in a real space beyond a virtual space. So getting out and doing events with your people and um, staying inspired, whatever it is that keeps you inspired, stay inspired. Awesome. So I'm just going to re recap all of that. Number one, you said ask for help. Two, you said find your tribe. Three, do the work, find a therapist, et cetera. And we have many resources at BU Movement. And if you're a member, you can stay after for the Q&A. Four, you said put yourself in a great position to be you. And that includes your location and your surroundings. And number five is stay inspired and do, do plenty of activities that, you know, fulfill your creativity and your heart, because that is in spiritual, I would say all five aspects of wellness, which is staying true to you. So thank you for all of that. And my last question, which I want to end with, because you are the definition of what it means to truly be you. I want to hear from you. What does it mean to be you? <laughs> Um, to be me, to means to me to be self-directed, um, recognizing that there are times when I do need to bend, there are times when I need to, to need to blend and bend, um, but really, um, whenever I show up and I don't feel like I have to have headspace taking up cover-ups, I mean, really, in some ways, a lot of my life was spent doing that. So I don't have to do that anymore. So that's just mm -hmm. completely liberating. Um, I think, you know, being being me and my authentic self and making no apologize, apologies for who I am in this world and that, you know, being proud of the, the path that I have taken to be me. Um, so that's kind of what it means to me is I can choose um, a path forward that serves me and supports me. Um, and I have mentors and I'm supported and loved and, and, and I stay true to who I am in all of that as well. Um, which, you know, we all, it's, you know, it's, it, there's, it's not perfect. Right. Um, but if we are feeling good about it being ourselves and we have a moral compass and we want to continue to improve ourselves to me, that's what being me is. And that's, you know, what I, and, and I, I'm not done. I'm still, I'm still trying to be me, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. That's what life is about is always becoming the best version of yourself. And the best way to do that is to stay true to your moral compass, like you said, and staying true to who you are from the inside out. So Marty, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so honored. This has been an incredible conversation and I've loved it so much. I've loved every single part of it. So thank you so much for coming and being so open and vulnerable with all of us. Absolutely. You're very welcome. Go be you. <laughs> exactly. Go be you. So thank you everyone. For joining us on our BU Movement podcast, make sure to become a member today if you are not at BUNBMT.com. Follow us at BUNBMT. We are in your corner. We're here to support you. Reach out to us. Marty, once again, thank you. Thank you, everyone at BU Movement, and we will see you on the next episode.